Hey everybody, welcome to the Afterword. This is Dave Tish. Listen, guys, loyal listeners, fans, friends of the Afterword, I have to apologize in advance. You are going to probably, you already probably detect undertones in my voice of irritation. And I, I have to say, I, I'm I'm not in the best headspace right now. I'm I'm on day four without power. The storms last week knocked out our power on Sunday. Uh we still do not have power, and it is uh, four days in. Uh, my house is 59 degrees. It is very cold. Uh, dear friends of ours in our life group loaned us a generator, and so I was able to get some some power in to uh, get a space heater to turn my daughter's bedroom from a frosty fridge to something a little less cold um, so that she didn't freeze to death. Uh, it, it's... The gas has been cutting in and out as PG&E has been working on stuff, and so our hot water heater often will just go down, and I have to restart that because I didn't know the pilot light was off, and so all of a sudden we have just, I'm taking a shower and it's freezing. And that's that's really not fun either. So I was in such a bad mood this morning driving in. I was just in a foul. I, I was just, just in a bad mood. I was just in a bad mood. I, I was not in a good headspace. I was not being spiritual at all. I was just I was just griping. I was completely in my flesh. So I did what I always do when I am at a low point. There are, I have a playlist. I have a playlist on Spotify of songs that I cannot listen to and not feel joy. And I'm not going to share every song on the playlist. That's private. That's between me and my God, okay? But I will share one of them. It is by Bob Marley, the song, Could You Be Loved? It is impossible to listen to the song and be in a bad mood. I could be in the middle of a zombie apocalypse fleeing in my Honda Odyssey minivan while someone shoots out the back window with a shotgun to try to ward off the angry hordes of the undead as they chase us. That's really dark. And this song would be playing and I'd be in a good mood. I'm telling you, it's just that powerful. So I played that. And, and also another thing that helped is I knew I was going to be in the studio today with three good friends from the compassion department of our church, global and local. I'm here because it's compassion immersion and compassion immersion is in many ways a perspective check. It's a way for us to get perspective, get our, our, our minds and our hearts off of ourselves and whatever issues we're going through and onto the global work that God is doing. And I knew that was going to help as well. So I'm super grateful to be in the podcast studio because I was in a bad mood and now I'm going to be in a great mood because I'm here with my three friends, Finney Abraham, Lily Wyrick, and Kayvon Tarani from our global and local compassion teams. They're going to share stories about what God's doing about why it's so important for us to pay attention to what God's doing in the world. They're going to share incredible stories about what God is doing and how it inspires them. And I think it's going to lift your spirits. So I hope you're not having a bad day like I was having a bad day. I hope you're having a good day. And if you're having a good day, you're about to have a great day. And if you're having a bad day, I really hope that, like me, that this conversation ups your spirits, gets you back focused on God and his kingdom and the glorious things that he's doing and fills you with hope and joy. And so with that, let's just uh, dive right in. It's a 
lot to have to step up to, you know, all these big voices on the table. Well, they're just loud, Lily. They're, they're. Would you say they're domineering? I think that they're just very deep voices. Well, sure. In many ways. Deep resonant voices? Yes. Yes. Deep voices. In the community. (laughs) Very white. Um, Yeah, you do. You have an incredible, you have an incredible radio voice. (laughs) I should have been in radio. I have the face for radio. (laughs) (laughs) So how how famous is this podcast now? Very famous. Uh, Millions of listeners across the globe. (laughs) So number one on iTunes across. No competing with. Well, can I be honest with you? I think about this sometimes because sometimes the goal of podcasts is to get a wider uh, a wider listening audience, right? So they'll do something like get a famous person on, or they'll talk about something provocative in the culture that more people have access to. This really is just a podcast for people who call Westgate Church home. So this is like inside baseball for people who are interested in in what we're doing. And so it's a little bit more niche. Yeah, it's super niche, actually. So that's kind of weird. So our our, our life group here, you know, they're like your life group. uh I have heard it referenced before. Have you have you ever listened, Lily? Of course I have. (laughs) In fact, I listened through the transition from Steve to Jay. And I thought that was very powerful. Oh, yeah. The conversations. That was that was that was that was a. Feels like that was seven million years ago. Okay, well, just so I have a a reference point, a lot of people, I'm just going to introduce you guys because I know you, I work with you, you guys are rock stars in my world, but maybe not everyone knows uh, uh, all that you've been, all all you are. So we have here represented our compassion team. Basically, global and local. The most diverse team at Westgate. Uh, it's unbelievable. We'll get to that in just one second, <laughs> Finney. We'll get to that in just one second. Uh, we've got Kayvon Tarani, who technically is in charge of global, but you also do so much with local. There's so much overlap, but your job is global. Main job. Yep. Finney Abraham, and your job is local compassion, but you also have your fingers in some, some global stuff, but mostly you stay local. And then Lily... Who works with you? You kind of you pretty much local, right? Yes. Pretty much, uh, almost almost exclusively support local. It's a lot of work to do. Well, there's a lot here, right? Yes. So Lily, so that's everything from beautiful day to all of our local missionaries to all that kind of stuff. So so we're here talking about uh, compassion immersion, and first of all, it, j- it does strike me that there's an international flair to this team. So let's just talk about that because there's an internationalness to to God's church, obviously. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people miss that because they don't have that exposure. Uh, I remember when I start, first became a Christian, I was working for Youth for Christ. And before I even came to work for Youth for Christ at the international offices, they sent me around the world so I could get a glimpse of God's global movement across cultures, across people groups, across languages to say, look, it's not just a, an America thing. This is a global thing that God's doing. And it was remarkably homogenous, meaning to, to, no matter where you were, the story is the same that people would share with their testimonies and what's going on. So it was pretty cool. So uh, why don't we start with you, Kayvon? Uh, you've been here for 14 years. 14 years. I just celebrated that on February 1st, that's, 2024. That's incredible. For 14 years at Westgate, not in the United States. Yes. I've been sorry. Quite a bit I'm longer. A, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, talk about that because you were not born in the United States. I wasn't. I was born in the nation of Iran and uh, was uh, grew up there my first uh, five, six years. There was a revolution in 1979. Right. A war in 1980 after a year of war and bombings, my parents decided to get out of the country as fast as we could. So we 
Uh, got a visa, went to Spain, lived there for a year from 80 to 80, uh, 81 to 82. And then 82, we arrived in the United States. So was there a particular threat to your family because of your, uh, your dad, or was it just a general anti-Western, anti-democratic kind of leaning that made you, yeah, made my your parents family? Uh, actually were not involved with politics uh, or government or any, uh, anything that would get them in trouble or military. So my, my dad's business was very successful, even through the warriors. But uh, we moved because my parents wanted us to have the opportunities of education and freedom. And so Uh, so for those two reasons, they were both highly educated. My dad had two bachelor's degrees. My mom had a bachelor's degree. My dad ran a company. And so uh, knowing the importance of education and realizing that in war times, education uh, is depleted. And uh, resources are given to guns and bullets, not not kids and schools. And so they wanted us to have the same opportunities they had growing up in a free Iran back in the you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And so uh, they decided to move really for freedom. Uh, that was the main thing. They realized that uh, the freedoms were being taken away one by one. It must have been soul-crushing for your parents to to watch the government turn authoritarian. Absolutely, it was. Uh, they they lived in a free, relatively free Iran in the, like I said, the 50s through the 70s. And then all of a sudden things turned around with the new Islamic government that took over. Right. So you went to Spain, but then you didn't stay there. You didn't you like go to Norway or something crazy? Uh, that was when I got my. Uh, that's when I got my uh, green card. But uh, yes, we lived in Spain for a year. That's where I learned English. I went to the American School of Barcelona, and somehow the Iranian kid learned English from Spanish and English speaking <laughs> teachers. How she, that happens, you don't know. That's but, funny. Uh, I was the only Iranian, I think, at the school. And How old are you at this point? At this point, I was six. So oh, wait. Six oh, so you're still a sponge yep, li- yeah, linguistically. First grade. Sure. And then second grade, I arrived on the, at a San Francisco airport. In the evening on a rainy day, just like we've had this week, uh, landed at San Francisco Airport and grew up in North Bay, Marin County. Oh, okay. Wow, wow. And that's kind of, that was your trajectory then? That was it. Our parents had some yeah. friends who lived here. We didn't have any family in the United States, United States at that time. So uh, we had some family friends who said, hey, come to the Bay Area. There's a lot of Iranians here. And we're like, we don't know any place from any place. So my parents wouldn't have known the difference between Florida, New York, and California at that time. They were just you know, oblivious <laughs> to what was going on. The U.S. is the U.S., so yeah. It was just America. And the only people they knew in America happened to live in the Bay Area. Wow. And they happened to live in Marin County. So they said, come here. Were there we a did. lot of Iranian refugees at that time? Quite a bit. Uh, yeah, because California huge, is a, a primary you know, immigration yeah, spot for... I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I would say well over 700,000 to a million Iranians that live in California alone. So it's definitely the, the second largest population of, of Iranians, I would say, worldwide is, is California. And did that start like a Christian movement, though, after several years? It, eventually, yes. Eventually, the, the the people that came here got a chance to hear the gospel for the first time. Because that was not a thing that was happening not in Iran. Much, no. Not under the Ayatollah Khomeini. Definitely not under the Khomeini, but <laughs> even before before that, when there was secular uh, leader, the Shah, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, of Christianity spreading in Iran. It's interesting that during a secular culture, it was kind of stagnant. There was about 500 Christians in the in the 70s, late 70s, and the whole nation of Iran that converted from Islam. Uh, there was Assyrians and Armenians who are traditionally Christian heritage believers who live in Iran because they were expelled from their other countries, persecuted, so they came to Iran, which was a safe haven. But not that much conversion was happening uh, of Muslims to Christianity uh, in Iran. Uh, in the 70s, but in the 80s, things began to change when when many people became, became Christians, both here and within Iran, and there was a huge evangelical movement to Fascinating. spread the gospel. Huh. Now, Lily, you're, you, you've also lived, I, I was counting the number of places that you've lived in the globe. It's it's tons. It's tons. So talk a little bit about your international background, and, and not just as a kid, but also as, a, as an adult, too. Yeah, well, I was born and raised in Cuba. Uh, my family immigrated to America. 
um, in the mid-90s. So not to date myself, but I was already a teenager by the time I came. Um, well, now, was that a difficult process to get uh, status to come to the United States? Absolutely. And I think to this day is um, called a, a lottery because you basically apply, but you're uh, have the same chances of winning the lottery. Um, wow. Wow. And um, we did have to kind of in the middle of the night uh, escape type of thing. Um, so are you the, now where are you in the birth order? Are you the oldest, the middle? I am the youngest. Oh, you're the youngest. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So your older siblings, your parents, you just kind of get up in the middle of the night and like leave everything. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Now, was that scary at the time or did you kind of um, understand? I think that it was scarier to stay at that point right. so it it just comes to a time when uh what's in front of you can only be better right uh, and it was kind of that's where we were at and um so i lived in the u.s for i think a full 10 years i'm assuming the, florida first that was the first stop florida always yeah because that, there's <laughs> such a huge immigration right. stop of yeah absolutely that's um where my family still lives um but then i uh married a military into the military so um in the mid 2000s then uh my husband and i moved to belgium wow worked for nato okay and that took us through another um great uh travels in europe so, right right um, and and in that meantime then we have lived uh in about four other states in the u.s now i know you're bilingual but aren't you also like trilingual well, French. You know, you know French too. Oui, oui, oui. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and Kayvon, you speak how many languages? Two point three. Two point. <laughs> Farsi, which is the Persian language, right, right. also Dari, if you want to add that, because it's the same language as uh, Farsi, just a dialect of uh, the Afghan speak. English, hopefully, well, and Spanish very poorly. But, oh man, uh, that's unbelievable! I can get by with some uh, little bit of Spanish here and there when I need to, and I get in trouble. And now, okay, and then you're international. First of all, you've traveled and and been born. And you weren't even you were just where you were born, and then where you were raised is is so different. So, Finny, why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I I was born in United Arab Emirates in UAE. My parents were working there. They're from India, and uh, when I was ten years old, moved back to India. And lived in India for 10 years, and uh, for the last almost 15 years, I've been here in the, in the U.S. So, yeah, three different places um, in each each of those decades. And um, so, yeah, so it is uh, it is pretty interesting how God has tracked my life through different cultures. And, and my wife is born in Paraguay, raised in L.A., ethnically Korean. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it is very interesting. So, <laughs> born in Paraguay. Uh, raised in LA, ethnically Korean. Yeah. So she's bilingual as well. She is bilingual. Spanish and Korean and Korean and English. And English. So yeah. trilingual. Yeah. Okay. So the background is is fascinating. So many different. But what did you learn about God's church? Does being international, being from so many different places and having so many different experiences, does that affect how you see the church? Is that kind of why you're in the work that you're doing? And if so, like why? I think uh, our background kind of speaks into what we do because we do work in a diverse, the most diverse part of America, right? There's so many cultures, so many languages within a stone's throw of our church here. And uh, to know the realities or the plight of those who are immigrants, uh, whether legal or illegal, right? Uh, to know the pressure and pain of those who may not look like the majority, that helps us to, I guess, in some ways relate to those who are 
uh, struggling to make ends we meet because in different ways we've had to push through different struggles, different barriers, different uh, stereotypes to be able to um, show people the beauty of of the body of not just the body of Christ, but, but the beauty of humanity. That there's a beauty when other cultures come, and if we welcome them and love them and show them Christ's love, uh, they too can have the same um, uh, you know blessings that we've been given as well. Yeah. I particularly like the fact that um, God is doesn't live in a box, and sometimes we put God in a cultural box of yeah. sorts. Yeah. Uh, being exposed to different cultures really um, is a glimpse of how big God is, mm. and he has no boundaries. And, and a lot of times we put those cultural boundaries to what he could be doing, through whom, and um, how. And just having a more of a, a worldwide view of God's work, uh, it really helps recognize His work here at home. Yeah, yeah. I I have few a lot of thoughts about this, but you know, if you just narrow it down, the biggest uh, thing I learned is the grace of God has been in all these places way before any of us can get or go to, and He is still working in the most remotest places where there is no Christianity or no faith or anything. God is still working with people and tracking their lives to um, draw them close to Him. And there are very some specific things I have seen too. Like for example, in India, when I grew up, the primary role of the pastor was to be outside because there's no one inside. You know, there's we are a small minority of people, and so the primary role of the pastor was to be outside and build relationships. And so when kind I kind of like a bridge builder, right? Yeah. And so when I was asked, uh, hey. Uh, when I came here, that hey, your role is to be outside and, and make connections. It just made sense to me. That's what we do. Right, right, right. And so, and go out there and and uh, show, uh, communicate about the love of Jesus through our actions. So it was pretty straightforward. That's uh, by the way, I, I didn't tell you this, but uh, I think it was a couple of days ago. Uh, I got a text from our life group, and uh, one of the women in our life group is on a, a Zoom call, and it's uh, her husband works for the city 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 hall. And there's like, uh, it's a, she hears it in the background, her husband's on this work call, and there's like, and then all of a sudden you hear over the over the speakers in her husband's office, and now to pray for us is uh, Westgate Pastor Finney Abraham. And she's like, what? And she's like, so she so I guess you prayed for some sort of city council meeting or something like that? Oh, yeah, we got, I got an opportunity to do the uh, the invocation for the council meeting. So oh, that's so cool. Before the council meeting, they... They invite different kinds of people to to pray or, or you know, to, to start speak, the meeting. Yeah, yeah. So we got an opportunity. Very grateful for that. And just uh, communicated our heart for Jesus in that place to our leaders and through them to our city. That's right incredible. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to focus. Uh, first, the first part of this convo is going to be, we're going to go local. And then we're going to kind of spread to the global. Although to Kayvon's point, really, the global has come here. So we'll talk about that. So basically, I just kind of want to talk about first, why we stop and pause as a whole church to actually just focus in on this aspect of what we do. Um, What makes it unique? Why is it important? Then we'll go into what I'd love to ask you guys is there are so many stories that we just don't see. Mm -hmm. Stuff that's behind the scenes, stuff that doesn't come to light, amazing stuff that you guys have both, all of you have seen that uh, maybe the folks out there aren't aware of. And I think the reason why those stories are so important is because it can really inspire us to see, first of all, if God is working, then that means that maybe God is real. And if God is real and he's working there, then maybe he can work in and through my life. So it really does energize the human experience 
because I think our default setting is that we're alone and God isn't real and he's forgotten us and it's just a slog. But these stories break that narrative that God is real, that he is at work in unexpected places, as you said, Lily, in, in the most unexpected places. And if that's possible, then maybe he can invade my life and I can join him in his work, I think. So So first, wh- why, why compassion immersion? What, what, why does it, what does this do for the church, do you think? Well, yeah, so I, I think it's fundamental in the formation of a person, uh, of uh, you know, uh, walking towards wanting to be living under the likeness of Jesus Christ. Right. And why is it important is because I believe loving your neighbor and the platform of loving your neighbor, I would say, is is the feet of the gospel. It takes you out. It it, it puts you into action. So, you know, John Mark Homer, uh, the other day when he was here, he, he uses language that we cannot only have contemplation. See, all spiritual practices and formation are contemplative stuff, but that needs to come along with activation. Right. Unless we do that, it contemplation alone will lead to legalism, to hmm. almost thinking that I'm getting some stuff done, I can do it. Uh, until and unless you act on it, you are not, never going to experience yeah. the humility and what God can bring and how he can form you into his likeness. So so being out there, getting out to our community, obviously the, the byproduct of that is a lot of people will get help. Folks can experience the love of God and get some actual tangible help but that is actually forming us in turn into the likeness of Christ. So that's why I believe this is important. That's why I believe compassion immersion is important because this is the time in our church we we bring our local missionary partners, global missionary partners who have taken this conviction into their heart and given their entire life to this, that we get the honor of partnering with them, right? Uh, to see what God can, what God is doing around the world in our yeah. community. Yeah, yeah. So we want to communicate about this to our folks and challenge, and that is the the goal of these two sermons that me and Kayvon will be speaking this this weekend, the next two weeks, is to challenge our folks to make room for God, not just to think that this is another thing that they need to put in the calendar. Obviously, we all are living a very busy life, and and it seems like this is another thing we have to put in a calendar, but, but when you really understand who God is, His glory, and be convicted about His, um, you you will realize that this is an opportunity for you to take God's glory out there to dark places in our community. Yeah, it does strike me that um, like the contemplative aspect of it, what what that doesn't mean is that the gospel isn't deeply personal, mm. that God isn't deeply personal. Personal is one thing, but it's not private. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always this... Is social. There's always an outward expansion of whatever God does personally. It also has, we're, we're social creatures. It has to spread outward wherever we go. So that's kind of the, I think the, the shift, not just, you know, the personal thing, but also the activation that that's a fascinating way of looking at it as a formational aspect, because otherwise it just kind of stays. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of not really the point. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it adds into the consumeristic way of thinking. Oh, man. Oh, that's really good. I'm just here. I'm just going to get... It's all about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's very quickly we can get there without even knowing. Now, to be fair, it is actually sort of about us. God is trying to forge us into a different sort of person, but it's not about us in the sense that in the work that God does is to make us less self-centered, more God-centered, more love-centered. Yeah. At the root of the gospel is about 
the otherness. It's about caring about others. You know, there's this hymn that 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 I really love. One of the sentences it says, "Salvation came to me on its way to another." Huh. Right. It, it it came to me as it was it was going to someone else. Right. And, right. And so so the go- root of the gospel always have caring for the other in it. And if we miss it, I think so. We miss the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good. Um, Lil, what 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 inspires you about CI, and also maybe I guess about the 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 fact that we get to share this with folks. My favorite part about CI is hearing the stories. Um, you get to meet very normal folks who with incredible stories, life changing all over the world, um, miracles happening. And it's, uh, makes you feel that God is still very much within us and, and our ability to act on his promises is for all of us. Um, I think that we live in an area um, specifically where we tend to try to solve problems, social problems, whether it's hunger or homelessness, um, even within what we do here at Westgate. And um, to know that these people are not out there to solve anything, but just to make room for God to do something through them uh, is also very encouraging because it, it takes the pressure off for us. We don't have to figure things out. We just have to make ourselves available for, for God to do uh, what he's going to do anyways, and he's going to find another person, right? So why wouldn't I want to be part of that story? Why wouldn't I want to be part of that movement um, for him to act? So it's, it's very much um, a personal thing, like you said, but it's not a pressure all on you. Yeah, you know, God doesn't tell you you're 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 going to have to take this on your own, Dave. This is you know you're it. Um, and just to be in the presence of those people who have um, sacrificed uh, their time, their finances, their families, um, is humbling. Um, it's encouraging. It just really breathes new life into the local ministries and global as well. Um, it does strike me that it is a bunch of ordinary people that we partner with. and uh, But like you, you started your sermon off with a story about another ordinary guy, Isaiah, who had an extraordinary experience in Isaiah 6, mm-hmm. he gets transported in a way that very few humans have ever have ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Like he gets like zapped into the, he gets a vision of God's actual throne room right. and he sees it. He sees it clearly. And what happens to him changes his life and the life of, well, Israel and the world because he has a vision of God and who he is. And God asks him a question. God's not, God is sitting there and the angels are proclaiming his holiness. But then there's a question that God says, which is, hey, who's going to go? Because God's on mission, right? So God wants to do something in the world. He wants to save the world. He wants to rescue the world. He wants to have faithful covenant partners and have people join him. And Isaiah comes undone and he, woe is me. He falls to his face because that's what everyone does whenever they encounter God. Like throughout the scriptures, nobody stands before God and just takes it in. It is a fall on your face kind of thing. And then he he gets, you know, cleansed, shockingly, because you would think that his dirtiness would infect everything there. But God's goodness, he's like Niagara Falls of holiness. It just washes everything away, right? And then he says, send me. Here I am. And so there is a sense in which it's just an ordinary person encountering an extraordinary God and then going out and just doing whatever God has to say. 
it does have results, um, but not always. Sometimes the prophets are frustrated. Sometimes what God wants to get done um, weirdly gets blocked. So, but we live in an area of pragmatism. So, t- can you answer the question? What's the difference between the work that we're trying to do and just any other um, organization, NGO, or a, a charity? Or is there? Do you see it differently? Because I mean, obviously, helping people is helping people in some ways. Do you see it differently? Absolutely. Yeah. L- let me just uh, also say one more word about what you just explained about uh, Isaiah six. Uh, it's fascinating that um, a prophet, an ordinary man who would actually vote, say vote to many others uh, before chapter 5, and he sees the glory of God, the holiness of the completeness of God, and he's floored, and he confesses uh, his own sin. And God uses this sinful person, and I think so that's the grace, right? God would use a sinful person to do his redemptive work in the world. And through Isaiah comes the greatest prophecy of all time that a king is going to come, the Messiah is going to come, and things are going to change, right? Everyone who looks up to that God, that Messiah, is going to be glorious. Like, we are going to get a body that would be glorious. The sinful body is going to go, and we will get a glorious body. And um, as we, as we, you know, um, uh, live out this faith in that God, who, who changed um, Isaiah and, and that story. So it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, and so the biggest difference that I would say, and there is a difference, let's say here in Silicon Valley, $3 trillion companies. We have $3 trillion companies, and all of them, in fact... You're saying we have three uh-huh. companies that are valued at a trillion dollars or more. trillion dollars. Right? I, I guess I don't know what they are. Yeah, I'm so going to guess Apple. Google, Apple, Google. and one of those uh, chip companies called... I just, Intel? Like, or something? No. Um, uh, our our listeners would know that yeah. they weren't. They, they work there. Uh, <laughs> Yelling Nvidia. it out right now. Nvidia. 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 Oh yes. Yeah, he knows. He, he, he knows stuff. Yeah, he knows a little. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. So they all are giving. They actually give way more than what the church gives, what Christians give. They're philanthropic and all of that. The difference is this. I think people who do this in the name of Jesus brings a unique thing to the table that is relationship caring for others. And they, what they bring, I believe, according to the scripture, theologically, is that we bring the glory of God in dark places in our community. Kind of like embodying? Absolutely. Is that what you mean? We, we embody that, yeah. those who believe in Christ. And there's a relational aspect instead of just a problem solving. You're Absolutely. saying it's not just problem solving, it's also relationship. And that, I'm telling you, that is something I think nonprofits, local government, and others who are working in this space to try and find solutions are starting yeah. to understand that we cannot see the problems in our communities like homelessness, like poverty, only from a material standpoint because our solutions will also be material. We need to understand the genesis of this is a relational brokenness between God, yourself, and others, right? So, so homelessness is not just going to be fixed by having just simply more homes. That is needed, but that alone is not going to help. Right. People need someone who they care about that they can listen to. Right, right. They can talk. Folks are, are, are addicted to alcohol and other things, not because it's just fun. It's because they're trying to numb the pain. Yeah. There's no one to listen. I think Christians are uniquely called to do that stuff. And if we really are convicted about who God is and what is my relationship with the holy God, that this God can love me, my, my response to someone out there should be the same, that I would spend time, I would take time right. to care for them. Now, Lily, you and I, we were having lunch yesterday, and you kind of talked a little bit about how you had like a bit of a revelation this past December with one of our ministries that, that you 
helped to run. It's our food pantry. And I forget the numbers for the food pantry. It was like 90,000 pounds or something like that of food that was given away this year. Yeah. So, uh, so, so the food pantry and, and, the basis of it is just to hand out food, right? Um, right. And we That's can, the problem we we're measure, trying to solve. Right. We right. can measure the pounds. We can move food around all food day insecurity. long. Food insecurity. Uh, but I something that struck me a while back was that um, they something has come to light about, in fact, San Mateo County has is asking for um, the state for a minister of loneliness. They want someone, they want to hire someone to deal with the loneliness because it's an epidemic. Um, the so disconnected isolation, the absolutely. feeling of lack of human connection. This is now because uh, it's not just about food. A health emergency. So as as much as poverty and uh, and and hunger, um, but loneliness is also just as serious. So I decided that we the least we could do is open it up for folks to get out of their car. And sit with us for some hot chocolate and some coffee. And um, we got some chocolate and some goodies. And um, I really wasn't expecting much. It was raining. It was... um, And people are in the lunch hours. They just want their food and they want to go. Well, to all of our surprises, I think we had... um, I would say about 75% of the folks got out of their car. Um, They had people praying in every corner. I had people connecting with pastors and and I realized this is pretty serious just to talk about what's just going on in life to talk. yeah um, I need someone to talk with I want people someone are yeah. driving around holding their life on a string um, and they will pour themselves out to anyone who's willing to listen and who better than us who better than us to say I can't fix your problem um, but I can lead you to who can, and I can give you Jesus. And uh, no strings attached. Um, I think that was pretty a, a pretty big revelation for uh, not only the staff, but also volunteers. Yeah. Um, that they could see this goes beyond. It wasn't just passing out food. food. Yeah, yeah. Um, that may or may not help you. This is never going to be enough. Uh, so I think it, it takes away that frustration that I can't give more. Um, because you can always give more, and there's always it's just a, an empty abyss of need. Um, but what we can do is we can definitely treat that loneliness factor, and um, and we can definitely tell them about Jesus. And it's, it's why we do what we do. That's it's, what we're called to do, yeah. man. I think so. That, that we have a very clear. I, it's been very clear to me after doing this work for over six years that there is a very clear need the faith communities can uh, meet in our community and everyone are recognizing that they need to be around the table because at the core of it, this is a relational issue and the Christian message is this, we are supposed to do the ministry of reconciliation. That's inefficient, right? It, that is the work that God has given us. Um, and I, I, I think we are living in a time of amazing opportunity and we just need to learn how to steward that well. And it actually changed the way you did stuff, the way you structured it. Yeah, there's no going back. I, I can't, uh, in good conscience, not um, have people available to pray because the need is there, It's it's, and it's not going to go away. Right. We know that we live in a broken world, and um, until Jesus comes back, we're, this is what we do. 
And so it, over Christmas, you had like ever, all, all these volunteers like wrap like Nerf presents and you almost created like a store or like a, a, a place to come in and get some goods and get some toys for their kids and then um, have some hot cocoa and then pray with people. People lingered. And so now you're like, well, I'm, I'm just going to do that. You're going to have like a kind of like a like an area for Absolutely. people to not only get more uh, services, but also just to be with people. It's a hangout zone too. And that's something that I always try to communicate to the volunteers as they serve with local compassion is that a lot of what we do is just be with people. That's it. Um, the resources will come, they'll go, they'll change depending on the need. But the be with people part is the most important part. And I think sometimes we walk away thinking that, that's not enough. Um, and I want all of our volunteers at Westgate to make sure that when they serve, being with people is a huge part of what God calls us to do. Yeah, that's really good. And that, that also, um, like you said, alleviates some of the, we can solve that problem. No, that's something we can do. Like, yeah. yeah, we can, we can help with that. Some of the other problems like food insecurity across Santa Clara County rent debt or whatever we might not be able to wipe that out but nope. we can we can do this part yeah we can listen yeah we can listen we can feel people be seen feel seen and loved yeah that's good yeah i was reading about this hagar story you know hagar says you know when she runs away from mm -hmm. sarah and she goes into this wilderness and she says uh, the god who sees me that's what she calls right the god who she names god actually uh-huh yeah El roy el roy or something yeah like yeah that, right the ones who, the one who sees the God who sees me, yeah. That's what Silicon Valley is needed. It's a, it's a place that is, even though it's so connected technologically, it, it, the the basic desire of being seen and wanting to be seen is not there. Okay, so final final pitch is we kind of land the plane for the local side. If somebody has their heart stirred, because what happens is I've seen this, people begin to serve, and it heats the temperature up of the whole church. But then some people really start humming. It's like they turn radioactive, right? So if somebody is interested, if their heart's stirred by a sense of, I want to partner with God in the local, what, what kind of entry points are there uh, in the short and long? Obviously, we have a beautiful day coming up this fall, but that's like in October. We're in, uh, it's not October. It's, isn't it February? It's it February. Yeah. February. So yeah. So uh, that's a couple months away. Are there other things that people can do to take maybe a baby step or to uh, kind of maybe jump in or not jump in, but test the waters, you know, and, and as, as serving, what are some opportunities? Yeah. I, well, I would say, and, and, and uh, Lee can also add to it. I, I would say the first small step would be get to know our local partners. So come to Compassion. Ooh, that's good. Get Cause to, they're great. Yep, mm -hmm. They do know. some really awesome work. Absolutely. Get to know some of our local partners. They would love, uh, to for just to be heard of what they're doing, and also uh, there are opportunities to volunteer right away. Right, we, we know a lot of our folks in Westgate. They don't need babysitting to tell where to go serve. They actually know where to go because uh, the ways we are connected. There are five areas that that local compassion is focused on, and you know Westgate is focused on. Number one, food insecurity, homelessness, education, foster adopt, and poverty. So, so what we are looking into is to be available as Christian people to show the light in these areas. Right. Um, so our local partners are all working in, in these areas. 
So I would say first step is get to know them. Now, if you've already known some of these folks. And they're going to be at our campuses, at mm -hmm. tables. You can go out. You can get, get to know them. And, and they're awesome folks. They're right. not just running awesome ministries, which they are. They're just awesome people Thank to you. know. They're really, really amazing partners. Right. And, yeah, so if you're already doing that, I would say, um, you know, uh, connect with them. Find some time to volunteer. Give. I would say pray. Take some time in your daily prayer to pray for the local issues in our community. Many people think that they have to go and give hours and hours in order to know that they're serving. Yeah. One amazing way of serving can be prayer. And there is a good group of people actually who pray for the local needs here. I believe that we have all these opportunities because there is a good faithful people who have been praying for this time to come. So pray for them. Um, you know, we, we already talked about uh, because of the faithful giving of Westgate folks that we are able to do all of this stuff. So right. thank you. Uh, for that, and uh, and uh, because of that, we get to do some amazing work. K1 will talk more about um, the details of that. And and the other thing, what we're trying to work on in the next few months is to open up opportunities for um, our life groups and for all church. To serve together. To, yeah, yeah, to serve together. Yeah. And, and, and now, you've always together. had that for Beautiful Day, but you're trying to expand this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Beautiful Day runs... Most of the year. Oh, that's right. We have these legacy yes. projects where people can get involved. No, the people who are working for a beautiful day is working for. <laughs> oh, you're saying join the beautiful day team. Yeah. I'm so, sorry. I mean, we yes. have a large team, right? We have. Yeah, you're right. Close to nine. Didn't you just folks. have a retreat or something? We did. With the yeah. we have a leadership we team. Leadership team. That's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. So they already start. They start working from January uh, in order to make this this thing work. Because, that's amazing. You know, we have yeah, yeah. close to two thousand people who will be volunteering that day. But not just that. Um, uh, monthly, we have food pantry that happens third third uh, week of Wednesday. Uh -huh. Third every third Wednesday of the month, and I think that is a great entry point. Like you said, um, it's a couple of, of hours. Um, it's lively. We usually, thanks to Kayvon's speaker, we have some music. We have lunch afterwards. <laughs> it's an awesome fellowship time. It's it's a great opportunity to meet other volunteers at Westgate, and um, it's very joyful. Um, and it's, again, uh, a one-on-one -on -one contact with uh, the clients that come through the line. You can wave. You can be the very easily the hands and feet of Jesus that day for a couple hours. So That's awesome. And then there is uh, safe car parking coming. That will happen between the months of uh, May and July. And uh, both in our Saratoga And that's campus, an opportunity for people to park safely on our campuses who are houseless at the moment, right. need need some time. And, and that we provide a safe space for them. We provide me, uh, sometimes a meal mm -hmm. or two or three or four snacks and just conversation. Because, again, conversation, it's lonely. It can be lonely. Absolutely. Be, yeah. Right. So, the, so Again, they're also relational stuff is the key. Yeah. Then uh, we have other things. School impact. Uh, we work oh, with yeah. uh, uh, nine different schools in Moreland School District. Yeah. Um, and then we have. That's especially key. If you've got kids in school, there's a sense of your heart's drawn to it. I know that, you know, when you have kids in the system, you're like, uh oh, because you see it a little bit more clearly, your heart's drawn toward it. Yeah, yeah totally get it. And uh, we, we definitely have a focus on foster adopt. Uh, on March uh, 8th, we have a gathering of people that God has given this very special calling. And our, our, our calling is to steward that well. Uh, we have several foster adopt yeah. families. And uh, so if that is an area, Folks can step in there. And then poverty. There is poverty in, in Santa Clara County, 6.8% of the people who live under the poverty line here. Um, there is child poverty here. I mean, you don't need 6. to 6.8%? seems like it's more. Mm -hmm. Isn't the poverty line like $100,000? Yeah, well, the poverty line in Santa Clara County is low income, is uh, $117,000 uh, household <laughs> income. 
Right, so a household that's, income of that's oh, insane. Yeah. A household income of one hundred and seventeen thousand. If you're making that much, and if you're still living in Silicon Valley, that means that either you're getting help from local government or friends or family or church in order to kind of survive here. There's no other way that you would survive with that 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 amount of money. Whoa. So uh, yeah, so that's, that's bananas. That's that that's, is so much money. That's low income and extremely low income is sixty thousand at least. Yes, yes, yes. Right? Yeah. And there are over sixty thousand families who are under that category. Sixty thousand families that make less than sixty thousand dollars. Right. And and out of that a hundred and thirty thousand or so are children. Right. Uh, who oh are who are living in poverty. Man. So this this is real facts. Yeah, real. And yeah. and no one wants to go Towards it, everyone want to go away from it, and I think as Christians we are called to go towards it. Yeah, and show God's love. Phenomenal. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for week one of CI, and uh, we're going to turn our attention to global next week. So we'll, we'll jump into that. Just want to say thanks to Lily and Finney and Kayvon for stopping by. You guys are awesome. We'll continue our conversation next week where we talk about global compassion. So join us for that in week two of Compassion Immersion. We'll see you then.